It's funny, you said we would never talk about this, but the very first thing in my, my notes is to talk about this. Um, one of the great misunderstandings of our generation is that marriage is something God gives you to make you happy. So if, therefore, if I'm not happy, then, then maybe it, it's the marriage's problem and let's solve the problem by doing something else. Pain always forces some sort of a reaction, but can I tell you after three and a half decades, there's a lot of pain. But there's a decision, there's a covenant, and there's an understanding that's caused Dina and I's joy that we get to enjoy today, and that is that happiness is the fruit of our marriage many times, but holiness is the goal. To be like Jesus, loving someone who's having a bad day, a bad week, bad month, bad year. <laughs> I'm on vacation with my granddaughter, and as she's going through all, everybody in the car, I love you, Mommy. I love you too, Francine. I love you, Daddy. I love you too, Francine. Love you, Hollis. She loves her brother. Love you, Hollis. Love you too, Francine. Love you, Gammy. Love you too. And then silence. <laughs> I said, Sini, do you, do you love Bapa too? She goes, mm, not yet. <laughs> no, this is why. Why is that? She goes, because Bapa got an attitude. <laughs> She's been married to that attitude for three and a half decades. And uh, you are a Proverbs 31 woman. You were up before the dawn preparing portions for those who serve this church. It is, the, it is unbiblical for me to say what I'm about to say, but I am lucky to have you. You're one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me. And uh, <clears throat> we got about 35 more to go, baby. You ready? Then we can hold hands in heaven. Amen. Anyway, my notes say keep moving, don't be afraid of silence, and don't call this hard. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 4. You guys ready for the word today? All right, huge day. Here we go. Above all else. What do you think Solomon's trying to say to us? This is important. This is a Jesus saying, verily, verily, I say unto you. This is like, let me have your full attention. There's a priority that's about to be set for your heart. There's a priority about to be set for your life. There's standards that we're going to go into today. There's a narrative that's created by your understanding. And so he says, above all else, you've got to guard something, and that is your heart. Because everything you do is going to flow from this. Everything you do flows from the center of your being. So I looked at the word hard. It's, it's the word uh, lave. And it means this. Above all else, guard your inner man. Above all else, guard your mind. Above all else, guard, guard the, the knowledge or what, what you know and how you've digested it. Your thinking, your reflection, how, how you deal with memories of what happened to you and what's, what's going to happen to you. Your inclination, the way you lean, your resolution, your determination of will. Solomon is saying this. There's a, there's a narrative that plays behind everything we see and everything we do. If that narrative is a biblical narrative, then even sometimes bad things come back to very good things. There's a hope that comes out of it. There's a, there's a comfort in it. There's a, a strength to get through it. But if all you see is, well, no wonder that happened to me. Bad things always happen to me. Can you understand? You're creating an atmosphere where bad things come to you. Why? Because that's all you're looking for. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see what? Anybody know? They'll see God. But blessed are the impure in heart, or not blessed. Why? Because what they'll see is what they're looking for. And so this narrative, this above all else, guard the story of your life. What's its meaning? What's its purpose? Who is God to you? How do you digest what's happened to you in the past? We're going to talk about that today. So this narrative is what you use to process everything that happens to you. So here's my first thought. Um, you're never going to rise above the narrative that plays in your heart. If you're a loser, you'll always be a loser. If you're a winner, you always find a way to win. And this is not sports psychology, by the way. I'm quoting Solomon, the king of Israel. If you think you can't, you're probably right. If you think you can, you're probably right. 
science and training and athletics and all these things, and it's wonderful, and they're telling us all sorts of great things, but it confirms what Scripture has said long ago. What we believe has a lot to do with who we become. And so our outcome, how we deal with this. Now, understand this. What's happening inside of you decides how you process what's happening around you and thereby constitutes a reality, whether it's real or not. All women are crazy. I know. I've been divorced seven times, and the only common denominator is I was married to a woman. It's like, wait, there might be more happening here. There's another common denominator, right? I can never get ahead. Why? Well, because of my, my, my race, my culture, my politics, my stop being a victim and start understanding the blessings of God upon every life, regardless of those things that we were born into. You know what I'm saying? Hear me. The enemy cannot work without invitation and permission. The serpent in the Garden of Eden does not throw Eve on the ground, pry her jaw open and stuff an apple in it. He has to convince her, and she has to invite the lie. She has to give permission to the lie to activate. The same thing that happened in the first sin is the same thing that will happen in sin today. He, the devil only operates by permission and, and with invitation. So this atmosphere we're talking about, um, what you believe about the narrative around you, it, it creates, uh, it creates a, a, like, a, like an open door. Let's just do it this way. If, if you leave the door open, there's a certain environment. Now, let's say that's the front door of my house. I wish it were because the front door of my house is white right now. It's just everything out there is just starts like whiter than the drapes right now. But let's say it's like, like spring will come again. Somebody say amen. How many guys know that it's winter in Michigan? When you look at dandelions and they still look good. Like it's been too long since I've seen anything growing, right? But that environment, like I, if I leave that door open and I go to bed, I come out the next day, I don't have to worry about my family room being full of fish because the environment is not conducive to fish. What I may find in my family room the next morning is my neighbor sitting on my couch in his PJs eating my Cheerios. What I may find is a, a gopher. I may find a raccoon. Why? Because certain things live in certain environments, right? So our hearts, hear me, our inner narrative must be aligned, must be the same as the narrative God has provided for us because that atmosphere draws things to it. Dina mentioned a bit ago a couple of things. She said, well, you guys are kind of quiet. Well, she talked about fasting and she talked about generosity, well, most Americans are quiet when you talk about taking something from you. But most farmers understand that it takes to get a harvest, you have to plant seeds. So that's why, that's why Paul takes this thought and he goes, you guys get this, this is agriculture, this is kingdom principle. You put one in, you get 10 back. You put none in, you get none back. You put 10 in, you get 100 back. You put in 100, you get 1,000 back or whatever that multiplied increase would be. We understand that. But she's talking about you saying no to yourself in some way by saying yes to God in some way, Right? But that atmosphere of faith attracts things. Your atmosphere of generosity attracts things to you. Do you believe that? Your, your attitude of, of goodness and kindness attracts things to you. Your attitude of bitterness and violence attracts things to you. I'm walking into Target the other day. I don't know what's wrong with Fenton, but just recently, retail has become the place where angry, stupid people go. This lady, I'm sitting there waiting for my wife to come out of the store because I'm a good husband. I dropped her off at the door. And... And I'm waiting for her to come out, you know? And this lady comes walking, like, and she stops, and she's yelling at somebody I couldn't see down the aisle. And she says, you're number one. And, and flips her off and walks in the store. I'm like, I just want to jump out the car and say, listen, your daddy didn't tell you something I'm about to tell you. But I'm not her daddy, and nowadays people who are good men go to jail for being good men. So I won't say that. I'm just saying, there was a day when a man would step out in the world and say, don't act that way. But now we go to jail, so we don't do that anymore, and idiots rule the earth. Anyway, sidebar. <laughs> sidebar, right? 
Speaking of atmospheres, leaving doors open. Uh, let's, let's talk about that, right? What we're trying to say is this, guys. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. And, and we're going to be talking about forgiveness again today, but I want to set that precedent that you got to guard your heart because from it flows things. You got you to guard that default setting. You got to guard that. And we got to be aware of it. We got to realize that when something gets in there, man, you know what I mean? There's, there's something that will come out of us. So in Matthew chapter six, the disciples approach Jesus and say, would you teach us how to pray? When we pray, it feels a little repetitious. I, I'm not sure if anybody's hearing it besides us. We go into the temple or we're walking down the road and we, we talk to Jehovah. We just don't feel like, you know, but when you pray, like blind eyes open and deaf ears hear and demons come out. And so you obviously know something we don't. Would you teach us to pray? And so he says, okay, let's, let's do this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got this daily bread clause. We've, we've got this forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And the astonishment delivers from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Interesting to note that most of the things in that prayer were revolutionary to its day. Twice, I believe, in the Old Testament, God has ever referred to his father. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And the rarest of prayers in the Old Testament, that's how you should pray in the New Testament, with a father-paternal relationship. Daily bread. I want to be hungry for you and your provision tomorrow. I don't, want, I don't want years of wealth. I don't want decades of provision. I want to be hungry tomorrow and trust you to be the one who provides for my needs. How you guys understand the Lord's Prayer is a revolutionary prayer. Probably the most prayer in humanity, but um, I don't think we, we fully comprehend exactly what's being said there. But the only part that Jesus comes back to is verse 12. Forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses, as to the same way, to the same standard, we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, this is huge. He comes back in verse 14. He says, for if we forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your sins. But, everybody say but. Just because it's fun to say, you sound like one of the imagination illumination characters when you do. Whoever does not forgive men their sins, your sins will not be forgiven. And you go, okay, I understand sometimes there's this thing that's mentioned once in scripture. You go, okay, well, that might be an exaggerative statement. If your right eye causes causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's not a biblical doctrine. That's like a statement of importance. And you see, like, it'd be better to go blind to heaven than to enter hell being able to see perfectly. Jesus is using exaggerative language. So if he never comes back to this, maybe that's all it was. But not only does he come back to it, he doubles down in Matthew 18, where we're going to spend most of our time today. You guys still here? It says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, you know, standing next to you is such a trip. Good things happen and, and bad things happen. People love us and people hate us. The Pharisees can't stand us. The Sadducees are sad every time we're around. The, the, the Essenes think we're idiots. The, the secularists, the Romans, the Greeks, they, they think that we're heretics. Like standing next to you, I kind of got the same vibe, the same reputation you do. And it's becoming evident that eventually I'm going to have to start forgiving people for hating me the way that they hate you. So Lord... How many times am I supposed to forgive somebody before I just have the right to never forgive them again? Do you see the question? What's right and what's wrong here? Give me the line. Is it seven times? I mean, up to seven times? That's a lot. I'm being really generous here, Lord. Here's my, here's my benevolent religious answer. Is it up to seven times? Jesus answered, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Either way, I think what Jesus is saying is your, your perfect standard of patience it doesn't even come close to what I want to talk to you about. So he's going to give him an analogy. He's going to give him a parable. And he says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold 
or 10,000 talents of gold. Now, I, I have this carefully... Uh, hernia. The, uh, this is a 60-pound... Hear that thump? Sounds like me getting out of bed in the morning. That's a 60-pound bag of sand. That's not even 70 pounds. So put another 10 pounds on top of that, and, and that is the amount of gold. 10,000 bags of gold, right? Now, a, a talent, a bag of gold, weighs about 75 pounds, times 10,000, times 16 ounces, times $2,000 an ounce, this dude owes the master $24 billion. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point? Do you, do you think this exact, matter of fact, let me just say this, that is the same amount of gold, 750,000 pounds that was discovered during the entire California gold rush. The fortunes of millions. He's talking about one man who doesn't have this, he owes this and doesn't have it, right? Um, He's making a huge problem. This, this, this parable starts with a huge unsolvable problem that has an unimaginable solution. Why? Why does he use it so large? Because sin is a huge problem that has an unimaginable solution. And he's going to teach them through the story how huge it really is and how unimaginable the solution really is. So now we have two choices. We have mercy or justice. Which one do we want? Anybody in our, in our day and age, what do you want? Mercy or justice? The average person would say what? Justice, right? And I get that. That's not fair. Fair would be to do to you what you did to me. Jesus is going to introduce us to something that's even more powerful than justice, and that's mercy. And it's going to be contradictory. Here we go. You ready? So without mercy, all that's left is justice. Here's what justice looks like. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Stop for a second. He's a man of means. He's a man of wealth. He has a wife who loves him who's proud to be his wife. He has children that rise in the morning and call him blessed. They're being educated. They have access to things. They go on family vacations for three months at a time, as was the common practice of the affluent. They have freedom in every direction. And suddenly, because of what he did, they lose everything. His daughter goes up for sale in the marketplace. His sons, who have no calluses on their hands and no experience in agriculture are now being sold to work the fields of others. His wife, no fault of her own, because of his misdeeds and his mismanagement, she is now not only poor, she's a slave and she'll never rise from her poverty again. That's what's on him. Do you guys feel the weight of that? Even then, <laughs> it's not enough. Even with all them losing everything, has the debt been repaid? No. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. Yeah, hey, can you give me until Friday to come up with $24 billion? If you just gave me a week or two. No. And it was funny, he's saying there's justice and there's mercy, and the justice is just. But I can't. I can't bear the weight of that. And so he falls into a, a, a servant's position and he says, please. And the master says, yes. It's, it's shocking. There's only one possible way out and that's mercy. Here we go. Look at this. It says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Can you imagine owing somebody 24? How wealthy is this master? And he goes, hey, uh, accountant department, write that off. $24 billion of run-up, mismanaged, messed-up, wasteful spending. 
has accrued and it's judgment day and he has nothing to pay it back and it's gonna cost him everything. But he assumes this posture of humility and brokenness and fear and please, please. And the master goes, okay, okay I, I, for some reason, what you're feeling, I'm feeling. And so my pity, my compassion, my mercy, I will pay your debt. How many of you guys know that's a beautiful story? How many of you guys wish the piano guy came up right now, right? That should be the end of the story. And Jesus forgave our sins by paying the debt we owed. And that is justice. But that's not the end. You may notice because there's no piano and I'm still talking, right? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. This, a silver coin was a day's wage, and so he owes him about 100 days' wages. So the common guy who works in the field, digs the ditch, you know, not a skilled laborer, just an average laborer, but gets one silver coin a day for his labors. But this is not an average laborer. What I'm trying to say is this. This guy would spend this on an evening out with his wife. This guy would spend this on, on a new suit of clothes for himself. This guy would spend more than that on a horse, on a chariot, on a palace or wherever he lived. Like this guy was a man of means. So this guy walks out, there's this huge debt, $24 billion, right? And by the way, $24 billion, the average pay in Fenton is $78,000 per household. For you to spend $78,000, it would take 30,000 years to spend $24 billion or 10 minutes of the federal government. But that's another story altogether. So this represents what he would pay for a nice evening out. So look at the contrast. $24 billion, 30,000 years, or a nice evening out with your wife. He finds this dude, and he owes him 30 silver or 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant assumes the same words, the same posture for the same reason. Be patient with me. I'm on my knees. I'm begging you. I'll pay it back. It's the same words. Do you see that? It's the same posture. It's the same reason, but not the same response. Justice, mercy. Which one do we want, guys? Help me out. What do we want, justice or mercy here? He's giving him justice. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He is not breaking the law by holding this man's debts against him. Do you see that? Do you see that? So the problem is not that he's holding him to account for his actions. The, the problem is it's in the, the atmosphere of what's been forgiven him. He is now an unforgiving person. That's what Jesus is trying to say. When you realize what it costs to forgive us, it is not right for us to walk in unforgiveness. You can't. The contrast is too great. So he says this, but he refused and instead went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they went to dad and they told on him. Maybe let's have a little brother, Right? Mom, right? They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. Here we go. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you, you begged me to. And then he's going to ask him a question. Understand, in this parable, this is a question in a story, but it's a question we all have to ask. And here it is. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? just as I had on you, is the standard of mercy to which you will be held accountable before God. And man, I wish that wasn't true. As I have had mercy on you, you must have mercy on others or you're not in right standing with me. It's a shocking standard. Um, as I can tell, I'm not the only one in the room shocked by this. I have to let go. I have to understand the value of what was given for me, the cost that it cost someone because of love. And I have to walk with that, that constant narrative playing in the background of my heart. 
that when someone sins against me, just as my sins are forgiven, their sins are forgiven even before they sin against me. I have to fear trusting people because I'm a person. I know people. I know they'll hurt me. I know that I'll hurt them. I know there's a sense of betrayal at times or disloyalties or gossip or things that cause division. But what he's saying is this, what was paid for you is so great that you should almost have enough in the bank that no matter what happens to you next, you have enough to make sure that debt will be paid as well. That's mercy. That's what forgiveness does for us. What happens next, guys, should be a warning to those who would want to ignore Jesus' teaching, both in Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 18. And I, this is a shocking scripture. Now, I'm reading from the Bible, and I know it's already quiet, but I just I want you to see this because he's not kidding. In Matthew chapter 6, it's almost like Jesus kind of looks at the kids in the back seat and says, listen, you guys knock it off. I'm going to pull this car over. Matthew 18, the car is over, and he's got his flip-flop off. Anybody old enough to remember what I'm talking about? Cars on the side of the road, their arms coming back and stuff, you know what I mean? Like, it's, this is legit. This is not a game. This is not a toy. This is nothing to be trifled with. This is cancer. This is nuclear war. This is, this, is, this is poison. Like, you've got to hear what Jesus is saying. And this is what he says. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You think that's bad? Here's one more. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There's certain scriptures I wish I didn't know, but once known, I'm accountable to. Unless you forgive from your heart, not from your ledger, not from your Facebook friends that are disowned, from your heart. And here's, here's a quick test. You're walking through the grocery store and all of a sudden you see that person, whether they've been dead for 20 years or whether they live in this community and they're not dead. What Jesus is saying is this. When you see anybody, regardless of what's passed between the two of you, that person may want to jump into the, in the, the frozen peas and avoid you, but you should never have to run into the frozen peas to avoid them. Why? Because mercy has created a new narrative in your heart. You've guarded it well. You realize that holding something against them is an inappropriate justice and you've been given such a great mercy. So when you see them, instead of going, oh, there's that person, I didn't see them. You can literally, if, if you needed to, walk up and say, how's it going? How are you? Uh, what are you talking to me for? Like, you know, how many guys know sometimes don't have the, people don't understand what we understand. They're not accountable to understand what we understand. But we are. And our Father has said this very clearly, that justice is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but mercy is an eye is gouged out and a tooth is kicked out. And we turn the other cheek. Because justice is the Hatfields and then the McCoys and then the Hatfields and then the McCoys and then the Hatfields and then the McCoys. Jesus is the Hatfields and then Jesus. The McCoys and then Jesus. The Palestinians and then Jesus. The Jews and then Jesus. The Pharisees and then Jesus. There's a, there's a standard to which we're being called that is impossible unless we've been recipients of $24 billion worth of mercy. But once you have it, you have to give it. The master's narrative should have changed the narrative, the heart of the servant. But the atmosphere is created by that open door. Like, you know, I, there goes someone who owes me money. He runs out the door and chokes him. Give me what you... There's an atmosphere. There's a narrative that's playing. It's this lack. It'll never be enough. I, I want justice. I, don't, I, don't want, I want mercy for me, but I, no one else, just me, right? His freedom should have made him a liberator, 
not a persecutor, not an accuser, not a gossiper, not a slanderer. This man should have been Scrooge on Christmas morning. And instead, he was just Scrooge, like, yep, Marley was right in the ghost of Christmas present, and he goes back to bed and wakes up the next day angry. Like, it's an inexcusable conclusion. Here's my, my last-ish thought, right? When God forgives you, it is mandatory that mercy become the new narrative of your heart. Failure to do so creates an atmosphere that attracts torture. You ever experienced that one? And hell, that lifeless, godless, dark, awful place. By the way, heaven, the kingdom of heaven begins here and now. Can I also say this? The kingdom of darkness is here and now as well. You can experience hell long before hell. You can experience heaven long before heaven. This thought that I'll I'll be even with that guy someday. Like, I, I understand it. It's a sense of justice, but it makes the whole world blind. Last thought. You will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive someone who sinned against you and doesn't deserve your mercy. (laughs) If there's any reason to be merciful, it's this. Because you'll never look more like your father. You'll never act more like your father. You'll never be more like your father than when someone sins against you and you forgive them. Um, I told you the first week on this that the word forgiveness, the verb to forgive, is the same word as to divorce, to, to put away. You know, Lord, have a relationship and intimacy, a covenant with, with this person, with this thing that's divorced. It's time to get a divorce from what others have done to you and marry what Jesus has done for you, friends. It's, it's time to divorce what others have done to you. It's time to marry what Jesus has done to you. Now, this brings up a very real pushback, and I want to address it. But if I am merciful towards them, they get away with what they did to me. Understand this. God is merciful, but he's also just. Whatever cannot be accomplished through mercy will be accomplished through justice. It's not your job to be God. It's your job to be his servant who's been forgiven and is now forgiving. But if there's punishment due to others, God's really good at that punishment. And yes, there's police officers. Yes, there's militaries. Yes, there's border patrol. Yes, there's authority and guards and guns. We get that, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your heart, not, not political, not, not governmental authority. I'm talking about the authority of your own soul. When you see what is required of you because of what's been done for you, I'm not saying never report a crime to the police. I I think we've gone way overboard with mercy sometimes and neglected abusers who continue to abuse because the church was merciful. We shouldn't be merciful to those who continue to abuse children. But we are not the ones who execute them. We're the ones who report them to the authorities who have the authority to to create the, the, the atmosphere of pain required for restitution and, you know what I'm saying? So we don't talk about covering up sin because we don't want to tell the authorities. The authorities need to know when laws are broken. I am saying this, though. If you're not a police officer, you need to quit arresting people. If you're not a soldier, you need to quit assaulting the positions of your enemies. You're responsible for you. And getting this right is so much. I just want to say this last thing. Jim, the pain is so real that for you to say, forgive me or forgive them, it's just like, I'm not there yet. I understand, hear me, hear me. The pain is real, absolutely. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know how badly it's hurt you. I don't know the great injustices you've suffered, okay? The pain of that is real, but the feeling of helplessness is not. You are not helpless. If it's a crime, report it. If, If it's a crime for which there is no law, you can report it. And God will bring justice if he cannot bring mercy. 
But when that's done, you need to divorce it. And marry what Jesus has done for you as the primary narrative of your life. That's reality. By a show of hands, not being ashamed of this, have, have you ever been hurt by another person? Can I see your hand? Okay. Put your hands back down. Second question. By a show of hands, have you ever hurt anybody? Let me say it another way. Anybody ever go to junior high? It is the common universal condition of mankind to be hurt and to hurt. This isn't heaven yet, but this is also not hell yet. The way we make it more like heaven is bringing the substance, the atmosphere of heaven with us as we walk. The way we make it more like hell is by bringing the substance, the atmosphere of hell with us. Jesus has made it clear what his will is for your life. The pain is real, but the feelings of helplessness are not. It is time to stop drinking the poison of bitterness and expecting those who hurt you to die. It doesn't work that way. I want to say this the right way, and I I haven't prepared this comment, but it's right here in my head. Let me see if I can get it out of my face. For far too long, far too many have given far too much to people who've hurt them. It's time to end it. There is a tomorrow. There is a different narrative. There is a promise. There is a peace and mercy that is not injustice. Jesus is clear, 24, 10,000 bags of gold, $24 billion, fill this whole platform with gold, forgiveness, and a good night out with the wife or a new suit of clothes. I'm not saying that isn't a big deal. I'm saying it's not a big deal in comparison to what's been done for us. And that's what we have to get to. It's not just what they did to us, it's what's been done for us that creates the narrative, not what's been done to us that creates the narrative. It doesn't have the right. You've allowed way too much real estate in your head and in your heart to go to your enemies, denying that same ground to your Savior. And it's time to reverse that. Would you bow your heads with me? Lyndon, by the way, God bless you. Pastor Jason, have fun. So what will you ask for today from God? Some of you need strength to do what's right. Some of you need mercy. Some of you need about two more weeks doing on this to to really come to a place. But I promise you this, when you come to the place where you can release those who sinned against you, there's a liberty that comes with it. There really is. There's a joy that comes with it. There's a peace that comes with it. A constant state of war creates PTSD in our souls. A constant state of peace creates heaven on earth. And the choice is ours. Which one will you choose today? Father, I thank you for your word because it it didn't pull a single punch, man. It it was a, this church isn't this quiet when the room is empty. So I know you've touched hearts today. And I pray, God, do more than just touch us. Transform us. If you need forgiveness from God today, would you raise your hand right now? Come on, just being honest. God, I need you. What I did, what I said, who I am, what I've become, I I need your mercy first. It's not bad to start here. As a matter of fact, it's necessary we start here. We love our neighbors, we love ourselves, but we love ourselves because we've first been loved. We forgive our neighbor because we've first been forgiven. God initiates the miracle. So raise your hand right now. God, I need mercy in my life. See my hand. Hear my cry. See my heart. God, take away. Take it away. Take away the sins that separate me from you, God. Make me brand new, born all over again. A new creature, a new creation, a new me, a better me, God. Forgive all my yesterdays and birth, all of my tomorrows, God. Right here, right now, I pray. 
Put your hand down for just a second. The second thing is this. How many of you guys have somebody that right here, right now, you need to forgive? Man, it doesn't feel right. They're going to hurt me again tomorrow. You want me to forgive them? They're going to hurt me again next week and the week after. They're going to continue to betray and speak badly. And they, they say words, they try to hurt me. You want me to forgive them? You have a choice. You can marry them or you can marry Jesus, but you cannot marry them both. It's shocking, but it's true. And Jesus says this so forcefully so we wouldn't play games at the moment just like this one. You weren't right with God a moment ago, but you are now. How do we make what they've done to us no longer be the central part of us? And that's by giving them what you've been given. Doesn't mean you have to trust them. <laughs> it really doesn't. Doesn't mean you have to respect them. It can be very complicated, but it's very simple. What you have to do is make the decision. The feelings come later. The wisdom comes later, but the, the decision comes now. Father, according to your word, we have no right to hold anything against anyone. We're working against what you're working for by doing so. And so we align our hearts with the narrative of heaven and that narrative is mercy. We forgive those who, those who use us, those who malign us and speak maliciously of us, those who hurt us physically, emotionally, spiritually, generationally. We release them because we'll never be more like our father now, when we let things go, when we forgive as we have been forgiven, even if they don't deserve it, even if they haven't asked for it, even if they died never, never having confessed a single sin, God, we forgive, we release, we divorce, we relinquish any right to vengeance. Vengeance is mine, you said. You said you would repay. We are, we are relieved of that position to bring justice in the world. And having received mercy, we now walk in the same mercy that we have received. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who crossed our lines and abused our trust and hurt us emotionally, physically, spiritually, God. Dragging that rotten corpse into the future just curses our future. So we let it go, believing that there's a glorious future for everyone who will follow you where you're going. We choose to forgive. Would you say that right now? Say, God, I choose to forgive. Say this right now. God, I choose to forgive. That's the default setting. No matter what they say tomorrow, do tomorrow, try to tick me off and frustrate me tomorrow. I'll forgive them then. There's enough forgiveness in your kingdom for everybody. So we walk in your mercy. We walk in it. We bathe in it. We speak it. We enjoy it. We talk about it with our friends. The mercy of God. Our merciful God has saved us and made us reconcilers. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand at your feet? Okay, just Michigan won the national championship. Wait, 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 wait. The Lions are going to win their first playoff game in memory. My sermon ended on time. And Dina didn't quit on me in 35 years. Um, I think some of you need some time to think about this, talk about this, pray about this. So we're going to open the altars today. And what, what the altar is, is just this place is not your seat. I come forward to kind of think, to relate to, to make decisions. Um, if you need to talk to somebody, 
Pastor Carl and his group, they're, they're coming up. They're going to be here ready to minister to you, pass you through this moment. They're here for you for that reason. Don't be ashamed. I mean, I, how many guys ever need help from another person? <laughs> okay, same here, right? I went to go see my counselor uh, two weeks ago. Most of what I said today, he said to me, this sermon has been plagiarized. But it's just meant so much to me. I thought, I got to share this with my friends. I'm learning about forgiveness. At 58 years old, I'm learning about forgiveness in a new way. So if you need prayer, talk, friendship, a moment, take it. If not, go grab your babies. Get, grab some coffee. Stick around. It's cold outside. It's going to be cold in, for about another half hour. So you should stay in here. Enjoy each other. God bless you. Freedom Center, you're dismissed. We will see you next week as we continue this series, I Belong to Jesus. God bless you.